Thank you for listening in to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. For more information, visit our website at cumberlandcornerstone.org. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Now this is not going to be a message where we walk through a passage of Scripture or anything like that. Really, with this message, I'm really introducing the entire series to us, Delighting in the Law of God. And uh, so some of it is going to be just uh, thinking about where we are as a nation, where we are as a, a church, and uh, what God says in his word. And uh, follow along those who read just the first four verses of this chapter. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for, to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but accor- not according to knowledge. By the way, I think we could insert our nation, unsaved people in here, you know, our desires that they be saved. And some people, even within the church, have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Let's go on. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ, and here's the key verse for us this morning, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We want to look this morning uh, very briefly at how the law of God impacts us. As we think about studying the Ten Commandments, you know, do they still have an impact on us today? Are they still for us today? And uh, the first thing I want us to consider is the fact that our nation has rejected the idea of absolute truth. Our nation has decided there is no longer any such thing as absolute truth. You know, it it really is what do you think and what do you want it to be? Uh, Let's consider what's happened over the last 50 years, if you will. In the the 1960s, it was the time of anti-establishment, if you will. That was kind of the theme of the decade. Uh, Even on April, I think it was 8th, 1966, the cover of Time magazine said what? Is God dead? And we began this long journey away from the, the idea of absolute truth. And the result of such thinking led to uh, the, such self-destructive behavior. Uh, you know, in the 60s, there was the emphasis on drugs. There was the emphasis on illicit uh, sexual activity or uninhibited sexual activity. Moral anarchy, which led into the 1970s, which was the kind of the me generation, if you will. Uh, the theme being looking out for number one. You know, it, it's my right. I can, I can do whatever I want. I need to be looking out for number one, which led into the, the decade of the 80s. And the decade of the 80s was really a decade of greed and and getting ahead no matter what the cost, legal or illegal, it didn't really matter. We just want to to get ahead and get the most that we can possibly get. And in the decades to follow, the 90s and the the 2000s, we have found ourselves in a world that is experiencing an ethical crisis. And the utterly outrageous has become the norm. I mean, if you don't believe me, turn on your television. You know, uh, shows like reality TV, you know, Dr. Phil, Jerry Springer and the like that that have made what was once to be obscene and shameful 
into something now that we glory in and something that we're willing to go on national TV and say, I do this. You know, what does Romans say? Those, those things which should have brought us shame, we are now uh, gloating in, we are now boasting of. And that's our society today. So what we see is that what happened in the 60s was that we cast off the restraints and the boundaries of morality. And today we live in a world that has absolutely no compass, moral compass. We no longer believe in absolute truth. Right and wrong becomes a matter of opinion. And the sad truth is, is that is creeping into the church as well. We have eroded absolute truth when it comes to the, the idea of marriage. We have eroded absolute truth when we come to the idea of right and wrong. Once again, things that were unthinkable 30 and 40 years ago are now commonplace and accepted behavior. You know, unless we can get a clear idea on absolute truth, and specifically the absolute truth as God has revealed in his word, we are in deep trouble. You know, I, as I was studying for this, I, a number of books uh, talked about a, uh, an address that Ted Koppel, of all people, gave. You know, we wouldn't think of Ted as being the one that I was going to quote on a Sunday morning. But I read so much about this that I went back and looked at it. And he gave a commencement address at Duke University many years ago. But this is what he said. And let me give you just a, a little bit of it uh, here today. He says, our society finds truth to be too strong a medicine to digest undiluted. In its purest form, truth is not a polite tap on the shoulder it's a hallowing reproach. What Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not the ten suggestions. They are commandments. And notice he says there at the end, they are, not were. I don't have it up there, but he goes on to say the sheer, sheer brilliance of the ten commandments is that they codify in a handful of words acceptable human behavior. Not just for then and now, but for all time. Language evolves, power shifts from nation to nation, messages are transmitted with the speed of light, man erases one frontier after another, and yet we and our behavior and the commandments which govern that behavior remain the same. Again, that's not a theologian speaking, that's Ted Koppel. But even within the church, we have this idea that the Ten Commandments are really not for today. You know, we have this picture of the Ten Commandments given to us by some angry God there at Mount Sinai with lightning bolts flashing and God, you know, saying, writing laws of stone on a, on a tablet about what people were supposed to do. And if they didn't do it, bam, he was going to get it. And that is not a biblical picture of our God. God certainly gave these commandments to the nation of Israel. And he gave them, I believe, to us for our own good. And they are like, I think, guardrails. They are there to protect us. They are there to provide grace and to help us in our daily life living. You know, too often we think of the Ten Commandments as restraining us or constraining us. You know, it's God's way of keeping us from having any fun. 
It's God's way of keeping us from enjoying life. It's God's way for keeping me from realizing my dreams. And we forget that God wants us to have not only life, he wants us to have what kind of life? Abundant life. And there is true freedom in absolute truth. There is true freedom in the laws of God. 1 John 5 verse 3 says that God's laws are not burdensome to us. You see, I believe that the problem people have with the Ten Commandments and with absolute truth in general is rooted in a heart that is full of rebellion. We don't like God telling us what we can and can't do. Truth of the matter is we don't like anybody telling us what we can and can't do, do we? But the way to truth and the way to morality is not by listening to my heart and whatever I think is true. I think it's by listening to God and by listening to his word. If we want to know right from wrong, if we want to know how to live the good life, if you will, if we want to know how to live a, way, in a, a life that it blesses our friends and our neighbors and a life that pleases God, we would be very wise to do things God's way. And that means paying careful attention to what God says in his word, to absolute truth. As I stand before you this morning, I consider this book to be absolute truth. And it is absolute truth for all generations, at all times. We don't water it down. We don't try to make it fit our society. This is what God has said. And that's what we want to look at over these next few weeks. And so I want us to see it as uh, uh, people that are accepting of absolute truth. You know, again, lawlessness is a growing problem in our society. The crime rate continues to to rise at an escalating rate. The cost of law enforcement and overcrowded prisons present all kinds of problems to our society. And the solution that we hear being presented by some to deal with the problem of lawlessness is this. Well, let's just change the laws. So we want to legalize marijuana. We want to legalize cocaine. We want to legalize other street drugs. We want to legalize prostitution. We want to legalize gambling. And not being able to control man's lawlessness, the idea then is let's just do away with the laws. And the thought is to change the standard so that man's wicked behavior is no longer a violation of the law. And the approach to the, that approach to the problem is not really that effective. You know, in my own lifetime, there have been a number of such changes to the law. And have those changes produced less lawlessness? No, it's just made it worse. When man has difficulty conforming to a standard, man's solution is change the standard. Let's change the standard. And unfortunately, as I mentioned, there are some, even within the church, there are some who are Christians who think that God has done this even with his truth, that God has done this with his law. 
They say that God revealed his law to us through Moses and that when man proved that he couldn't keep the law, God changed it. And some believe that God has changed his standard of righteousness because that standard was too strict. And God just did away with it. Okay, I tried that, but man couldn't keep up, so we're going to change the law. Can that be true? I mean, did God change his standard of righteousness? Has God changed his word? Does God relax his standard in order to accommodate the inability of man to live up to that standard? Well, Romans 6.14 tells us that we are not under the law, but that we are under grace. Colossians 2.14 and 17, Paul talks about the, the ordinances being abolished. So does that really mean God has changed his standard? His standard of righteousness. That, that God has now legalized what was once condemned. When the words of Paul in Romans chapter 6, may I say, God forbid. Certainly not. You know, those that think that living under grace means that the standard of righteousness have changed, don't, just don't understand God's work of grace. You know, the standard of righteousness has not changed. What is true, however, now is this. Christ is our righteousness. God in love has graciously provided his sinless son for a substitute for our sin. He died on the cross for our sins so that now when we put our faith and trust in him, we are considered, what does the New Testament say? In Christ. We are in him. He has not only met the righteous demands of the law in his own life, but he has taken all of our violations upon himself. He has paid in full for us the penalty that the law demands, which is death. He died on the cross for our sins. So in Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, when we accept him as Lord and Savior, there are no more charges against us. And God declares us to be righteous, not in ourselves, but in Christ. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we stand before God now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You see, folks, the standard hasn't changed. God's standard of righteousness is still, we're the ones that have changed. God has changed us. Christ has changed us. That brings us to Romans chapter 10, verse 4. In Romans 10, 4, Paul speaks about that, and he says to us, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Well, what is he talking about there? What does that mean to us? Well, the word end is the Greek word teleos, which means completion or perfection. Christ is the completion. Christ is the perfection of the law for us. So Christ is the complete and perfect fulfillment of the law of God for us. That is now our position in him. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, he has fulfilled completely the law of the requirements of the law of God for us that's our position we stand before God now in the righteousness of Christ not in David Hattonville's righteousness if I'm there in my righteousness I'm going to be I'm going to fall way short I stand there in the righteousness 
of Christ. Well, there's another side to that as well, however. For his grace also is producing Christ-like behavior in us. Christ-like righteousness in us. The transforming work of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, the transforming work of of salvation is reproducing righteousness in you and I as believers. Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36 tell us that under the new covenant, Remember, those prophets tell us the old covenant was going to pass away, yes, but under the new covenant, the law of God is actually going to be written where? On my heart. It's not done away with. It's going to be written on my heart. You see, folks, with regeneration, with salvation, comes internal change. We now have a new nature. A nature in which our loves and our desires change. And because of that, our behavior is transformed. Therefore, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You know, there's this crazy thought out there that some people believe, especially us Baptists, that once you you get saved, you can go out and live any way you want. That is so unbiblical. When we get saved, we are a new person. We have a new nature. If you're living any old way you want, i got to question whether or not you're a true believer. We are a transformed person. The Holy Spirit now dwells within us, encouraging us and enabling us to live in a way that pleases God. And folks, love motivates me to live for God. His love for for us is so overwhelming that our hearts are filled with love for him. And such love prompts us to want to do what? Please him. What did Jesus say? Therefore, will all men know that you are my disciples if you keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to do what I tell you to do. And so love is the fulfillment of the law. When we love, we give priority to those things that are important to the one we love, God. We want to please him. You're in Romans uh, 10. Go to Romans 13. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love means that I want to keep his commandments. Not that I want to do away with them. How can I, what can I get away with? You know, sometimes I think that's the thought here in the Christian circles. What can I do that, that's okay? What can I do and get away with? Well, I think I can do this. Well, I think I can do that. We shouldn't be trying to get away with something. We should be trying to live as closely to the Lord as possible, however he wants us to lead, live. You see, that's not legalism. Where we're hoping to gain favor or merit with God, 
we, we want to follow his commands because it's an expression of love for him. And loving, what, what have we learned over the last few weeks? Loving God also means that we're going to be filled with a love for one another. For my neighbor. And loving that person means respecting them. Respecting the sanctity of life. Respecting the sacredness of their marriage. Respecting the rights to their possession. Their reputation. All the things that we're going to see in the commandments. You see, we can't violate any of those things if we truly love that person. So, folks, God's standard of righteousness has not changed. It is fulfilled and brought to reality in Jesus Christ. Indeed, his love and grace at work in us causes us even to be willing to go beyond the requirements of the law. So that we are not only just and fair, we are gracious. Remember what Peter asked last week? Lord, how many times do I forgive my brother? Seven times? He was was trying to be good. And what did the Lord say? Uh, Try 70 times seven. An unlimited amount. Be gracious. Be gracious. We are to go the extra mile. In Christ-like love and righteousness, in our relationship with not only him, but in our relationship with one another. So the law, of, of, the law is God's standard of righteousness. And while many of those old, these Old Testament laws had special application prior to Christ's sacrificial provision, there are some basic principles that can still have, have something for us here today. And, and in, in our series... I want us to look at at some of these basic principles upon which God's laws have been based and to see how those basic principles, those laws, still have application to us today. You see, the principles in the Old Testament law are external principles of righteousness. And while some of the specific ordinances may not have application to us today, the principle still does. And we want to seek to discover what it means to have the law of God written on our hearts so that we can learn to live in a way that is pleasing to the one who loves us so. You see, man's way of changing the standard and legalizing sin is not God's way. Being free from the law does not cause us to live loose and lawless lives. God has declared us to be righteous in Christ. He is reproducing that righteousness then in us. And one thing that we need to keep in mind throughout this entire series is this. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And remember the Jews of Jesus' day. They observed those external commands. And they even added commands to it. Why even do more? but they failed to grasp the principles of righteousness that were being set forth in the command. Remember what the Lord said? You have heard of old, thou shalt not kill. And you're all proud of yourself because you never killed anybody. But I say to you, don't hate them. Because the root of killing them is hating them in your heart. See, the Lord actually raised the ante on us, didn't he? It is only in Christ 
that these righteous principles become a reality in our life. You know, as we close, there's a great debate in our country and even in our county over the years about the posting of the Ten Commandments. You know, and we, we have this, well, I think they need to be, be posted on the courthouse lawn. And, and I believe that too, but what I find really perplexing is this. Sometimes even those of us who are most fervently committed to that, posting the Ten Commandments, don't truly live by them. We might not even know them. But they ought to be out there. God says, don't just know them, live by them. See, the Ten Commandments are not to be ignored. It is, it is vitally important that we study them. It's vitally important that we understand them. But it's even more important that we live by them. And we follow what God says in his word. That's what's ahead for us. Do we have the law of God written on our hearts? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder about your law, about your word, and about the absolute truth of your law. And Lord, I pray that we truly do have the law of God written on our hearts. I pray that we are not just trying to live as closely to the world as possible. Lord, help us to understand that, that we are under grace, yes. But that doesn't mean that we are lawless. That doesn't mean we do whatever we want. We are to be living under the control of the Holy Spirit each and every day. And if we are, we're never going to do those things that are going to violate your, your word. May we be a people that love absolute truth. Thank you for listening. For more information on our church located in Cumberland, Maryland, please go to cumberlandcornerstone.org.